time is for Here we go Beat We on the mountaintop chillin' Uh, yeah What I'm doing is What I had to do was smash you Cause I took a Sabbath Now I'm back attacking you Hey everyone, welcome to Mountain Sense, the podcast that digs into the world of professional mountain guides, outdoor educators, athletes, or just about anyone who makes a living in and around the mountains on a daily basis. Whether you're a strong young guide climbing 514 and looking to break free from the group top rope outings and are worried about glacial abatement and if you'll ever be able to guide those classic routes in the Alps, or a crusty old-timer who has steadily been pushing through that 5.9 plus on-site barrier for the last couple decades and are more worried about the abatement of your hairline, this show is for you. Even if you don't work as a mountain professional, the conversations on this show are meant to inspire and encourage new ways of thinking about how we all interact with the risk, the reward, and the uncertainty that the mountains offer up. It doesn't matter whether you are a professional guide, a weekend warrior, or one of those magical beings who puts up with their loved one's mountain obsessions, we all have the same goals. We want to have as much fun as possible, follow our passions as long as we can, and most importantly, come home safe at the end of every day. So on this show, we're going to talk with top professionals in the field to collect some insight into the mindsets that they employ and the tools that they use to achieve those goals. We will also address the issues and topics that are most pertinent to the industry and impact how we all make a living. Oh, now y'all know with us, it's all about the cosmos. Feels good to be me. Everybody, welcome to episode three of Mountain Sense. I'd like to begin by apologizing for being well over a month late. On this episode, um, shooting for one episode a month and totally dropped the ball in January, even though this episode was recorded back during the holidays. So laziness on my part is definitely part of that. Uh, another part is it's just a result of not being very good with my own time management. You know, working for several different companies, trying to scrape by piecing work together throughout a season, going out and taking a week, two weeks at a time to do some training. Uh, these are things that I think are, are important for, for us all to discuss um, as guides. And uh, that's that's something that's kind of leading me towards still trying to formulate the vision of what this podcast will be. But one of the important things that I'd like to get across is uh, just making this an outlet to share our own stories about the struggles and challenges and also the rewards of pursuing this type of work. Another way to look at it is that this could serve to be sort of a virtual office water cooler where we can all share our experiences and talk about what we're facing in our daily work and, and life and finding the right balance and, and all this. So it's something that I, I'd like to be as equally valuable for those of us who have been doing this a long time and for those of us who are just starting out or even just thinking about you know pursuing a career as a professional guide so i invite you all and welcome comments and feedback from all of you the listeners however many are out there um let me know what you want to hear and what you'd like this to be it, it kind of started out as a project intended to be just for guides, sort of a industry podcast. And then I tried to 
expand it and change the vision so it's something that we could share with our guests or even just serious recreational climbers or not so serious recreational climbers uh, to try and expand the audience. And I'm sort of coming back around to keeping the focus on on topics and uh, discussions that are going to be mostly beneficial to guides um, working professionally and uh, with, without excluding a wider audience, um, I'm kind of thinking of, uh, we could get the most value by just keeping my, my personal focus on what what's going on in the industry and what we all face and hopefully still having enough interesting content that non-guides would be interested in listening to this as well. And for me personally, it's been a very interesting and exciting but also challenging past few months um, in sort of pursuing my career and making choices that are going to keep me on that progression. Uh, I've, I've had to make some pretty big sacrifices and and have given up work in favor of continuing my education and training. Um, right now I'm sitting in a parking lot out in British Columbia, getting ready to head into Selkirk's for a week of mentorship and training, and then heading straight over to Pemberton for my advanced ski guide course and aspirin exam. And uh, upon completion of that, I'll be a full aspirant mountain guide, which is something that uh, it, it's come about a bit quicker than than I maybe have have planned on or, or foresaw. Uh, I'm psyched. I've kind of made uh, my journey right now about getting through the program and earning all those certifications as quickly as possible. Um, I think there are advantages and disadvantages to, to that approach versus a lot of my, my peers and you all who have taken the longer road through the program. Um, so these are just things that I think are, are great to discuss and there there's no right or wrong way to do it. And the more that we can all share our stories with each other, I think we can help out the, the community overall. So enough about me. Let's uh, start getting into this month's episode. Um, we sit down, I sit down, there's no we yet, uh, but I sit down with Taylor Lunau and Kel Rossiter, friends of mine, both Vermonters. Kel is the owner and head guide over at Adventure Spirit Guides based out of Vermont. And Taylor is a good buddy of mine who has uh, spent some time out west and recently moved back to New England to pursue a degree, a split degree in both environmental studies and law. And Taylor is uh, the type of guy who's always just impressed me with his, his knowledge of of the, f- the issues facing access and conservation is a strong opponent of it. And uh, I'm psyched to see what he goes on to do with his career here. But the reason that these two are on the show is that together they have started a project uh, movement, as they refer to it, known as Guides for Glaciers. So some of you may have seen the Facebook page for that group. Um, these two together are still sort of putting the pieces together, trying to 
visualize what that project's going to be. And um, the reason we had them on this episode was to kind of build some awareness and talk about both guides for glaciers um, in terms of what what it could be and what it is right now and the bigger pictures of climate change and how the changing climates are affecting us as guides both from an economic standpoint and from a safety standpoint and that's the overriding mission of guides for glaciers to be fully honest i went back in kind of went through the interview and did some slight editing a couple weeks after our our conversation and then uh, more than a month has gone by and i'm now sitting down to kind of record this intro and and finally release this episode so i'm gonna let these two do the talking in terms of the specifics um one thing to throw out there and this is something that kel brought up to me uh post interview is that as of july 2017 there were about 50,000 jobs in the coal industry and there are over 73,000 jobs in the ski industry alone. Um, so it, it's just a, a quick stat to illustrate the power that we have as an outdoor community, both you know the ski industry, the, the overall greater outdoor community, and then us as guides. And we also talked about how as guides, we are often a portal and sort of a, a harbinger of connecting people to the outdoors so we have both both a responsibility and a dependence on the the places that we we work and we recreate and that we all love dearly so it's up to us to to do everything we can to protect and preserve those places for our future livelihood and safety and just a few other quick notes uh regarding the show overall well, I have been a bit lazy and procrastinating in terms of getting this episode out. I have not totally neglected the show. In the meantime, I have recorded two two new episodes that I will do my best to release on time and perhaps a little early just to get us back on track here. But uh, I had a chance to sit down with technical director of the AMGA and lifetime mountain guide Dale Remsberg, and we had just talked about... Um, a lot, a lot about what's going on with, with the profession and the industry and some of the challenges we're facing and what he's doing over there as the TD. And in sort of a, a change of pace, uh, I had the opportunity to sit down with Jana Bookgockel, whose husband was lost in an avalanche back in 2013. And Jana, along with Rick's family, went on to form the Forge Scholarship, the Friends of Rick Gockel Everywhere Scholarship, which is awarded every year to a splitboarder to pursue an AMGA ski guide program. I actually had the honor of being awarded this scholarship for my ski guide course and have since kept in touch and become friends with, with Jana. And it was an emotional episode and a chance for Jana to share her story of what it was like to be married to a guide who was well-loved and respected within the community and was super passionate about what he was doing. And to see her go on to 
support the pursuit of that life and uh, pursuing passions and and kind of our calling that we all have to to do this type of work. Um, I thought it was important to share that story. So I'm excited to get that one out. Uh, big thanks to Jana for for being willing to sit down and have that conversation with me. But anyways, uh, enough of my rambling banter here. Uh, let's get into it with Taylor and Kel on this month's episode. Enjoy. <laughs> Hey, Eddie. Yeah. Can you hear yeah. me? Uh, let me go to speaker. Here we are. How's that? Good. I can hear you. Okay. Well, Excellent. Did you receive that request from my computer? No, it didn't come through. Uh, all right. Let's just right. roll with it this way. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Rock and roll. Well, let me just deal with. So, uh, it, hey, just big picture as far as the uh, the the whole podcast process goes, you're going to record stuff and then be editing it out. It sounds like I guess Taylor was on top of things and he did his homework and listened to one you'd you'd done previously. But uh, will you be um, you'll be sort of editing snippets of it, or or how are you envisioning the whole thing to go? So I I tend to not edit much out i mean i'll just kind of throw in some music and break up the conversation a little bit um but basically i like to keep it as whole as possible um Mm -hmm. and you know i'll like send it over to you guys before it goes out too so if there's anything you're like oh man we sounded like doofuses (laughs) take that out you know plenty of that (laughs) but um yeah more or less it's kind of like uncut just just let the conversation roll Speaking of Taylor, you're engaged, yeah? Yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah, congrats, buddy. I, I haven't talked to you since then. I, you, I, didn't you do it when um, you were in Jackson? Yeah, yeah. We uh, well, so technically, I proposed to Nadine when we were on top of Lolo Peak in Missoula, and uh, and you know, like being the sap that I am, I told her. I wanted to uh, re-propose to her uh, once per season because I knew I was never going to get it right. <laughs> so, so I did. It, I tried again while we were climbing the Grand, and then uh, and then again this fall while we we're out. So yeah, yeah, it's just it's an evolution in progress. One of these times I'll do it properly. <laughs> Is she like holding off until you nail it or what? <laughs> no, the ring's on the finger. I'm lucky. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but cool. well, no, congrats, yeah. So, man. I, we're, we're here uh, in Burlington living down near um, uh, like Arts Riot and I'm finishing up my degree and she just got done with law school. So yeah, just like kind of finishing up here and then going to be rolling hopefully back out, out west at some point soon. Cool. Well, waiting for you oh, to come back you. out here, dude. We got to yeah, do the uh, Vermont's tour yeah. episode too. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about that earlier today. Holy shit. Oh my god. Ready for another. Yeah. 
it's gonna be much bigger and better. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, let's let's get started. Um, so Taylor, Tim, thanks for coming on the show here. Um, and why don't you guys each just kind of give a little bit of your background? Um, you know, talk about what your uh, what your sort of involvement with the guiding world is. How you guys um, you know met and um, kind of what 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 the shape of your careers have been like until now, and then. Uh, We'll kind of talk a little more specifically about the project with Guides for Glaciers. All right. I'll jump in. This is Kel. And um, so, yeah, I'll tell a little bit about my my trajectory into guiding and then Guides for Glaciers. And uh, maybe I'll preface it with a, a little quote from Soren Kierkegaard to make things heavy straight off the bat. He said, life can only be understood looking backwards, but it must be lived looking forwards. Uh, in any case, looking backwards, um, my original involvement in guiding or in outdoor education instruction guiding, it was collegiate. I was initially doing a uh, doing the work with the uh, directing the outdoor program at Georgetown University. Came up to Northern uh, Vermont universities to work on the faculty in the mountain recreation management. And then ultimately, uh, through by way of getting involved in the AMGA programming, uh, first with the Alpine course back when Alpine course could be taken first, and then with a rock course, um, decided uh, that guiding looked like a great way to take my passion for learning uh, into a context where I could work with people at all ages and stages of life. And so got into guiding, which I've been doing about coming on 10 years now, and uh, through the process of that, both working with my own company, Adventure Spirit Rock Ice and Alpine, and then working summers uh, with Rainier Mountaineering Incorporated, RMI, out in Seattle, uh, started spending more time on glaciers, which began me thinking about how guides are both uh, economically and physically vulnerable in glacier environments, uh, but also... Uh, how we could be effective voices for uh, climate uh, progress in those in those worlds. So that's the the quick hit on me, <clears throat> Taylor. Thanks. Uh, hey, this is Taylor here. Um, so I am a Vermont native and currently am a graduate student at Vermont Law School and University of Vermont. Uh, so I'm studying environmental law and policy and natural resource science right now. Um, but I got into uh, the outdoor, uh, well, instruction world. Uh, I'm not a full-time guide right now, uh, but I started out uh, taking my single-pitch instructor exam while I was uh, a student at St. Michael's College, uh, which, shout out to them, have a great wilderness program. Uh, and I started guiding ice and rock and doing some backcountry skiing for them, and then eventually uh, graduated to start working for Petrocliffs Mountaineering School here. And then uh, shortly after I was done with school, uh, moved out to Jackson, Wyoming to teach at the Teton Science School. Uh, and that's uh, where I stayed for about two years before starting up with this graduate degree. Um, so I'm back out here now and finishing up. I've got one semester left to go, 
and then uh, on to, to new projects afterwards. I think I was muted there. Um, cool. Thanks for the yeah. intros. Um, with Guides for Glaciers, uh, Kel, you kind of created the Facebook page for it. Um, not sure how long ago now, but um, kind of was following that and then somehow caught on to, to Taylor getting involved. And Taylor, with your sort of academic pursuits now, I was like, this is this is going to be something cool. These two guys got their, their heads in the right place here. So, you know, either of you can jump in and kind of share your stories about it, but what's the background on this project and sort of the, the quick overview of the vision for it? Yeah, uh, definitely as conversation rolls along, we should get into more specifics, but, uh, speaking generally about the genesis of it all, uh, uh, originally, working on Rainier, of course, in the heat of summer, there's a, a lot of changes in the route and uh, and the and the general gist of uh, low snowpack summers, high high snowpack summers, um, record temperatures, things of that sort, and and how those play into day to day. Uh, thinking about uh, your guiding and your exposure to risk and, and things of that sort. And by no means is this uh, limited to Rainier. I wouldn't want to give that impression. Uh, the same thing's happening in the Alps and and uh, essentially all over the world. But it, Rainier happens to be where I was. And uh, thinking about that, particularly within the context of there was a, a and not to bring uh, politics too directly into it, but... Uh, but it was during a uh, presidential election coming up, and I, I remember specifically there was a uh, an interview for a presidential candidate, not uh, not anybody who's now president, but in any case, they were interviewing them and talking to uh, some waitress in Pennsylvania, and they were talking to the waitress who was saying, well, you know, uh, I... I, I earn nine dollars an hour, and uh, and I'm interested in my economic future. And the politician kind of chimed in and was like, "Yeah, like we don't have time for uh, looking at things like climate change. We have to think about how to raise people's hourly wage." And I thought to myself, "Well, hey, you know, I I definitely not that guides are driving Bugattis or anything like that, but I, you know, I definitely earn more than nine dollars an hour." And, uh, and so I've, I've got a, a living wage and, uh, my living wage is going to be threatened by climate change. And so if we really want to address the, you know, the, the challenges ahead, we have to start thinking about, uh, you know, about the good jobs that are involved in, in things that directly depend on a winter world. And so that's what got me started thinking about, uh, guides for glaciers. And so I began putting it together and was fortunate enough to uh, tap into Taylor and his, his expertise in energy. So, Taylor. 
Yeah, I had a, a similar, uh, prog- I guess, progress in, in this th- thought process. I was I was prepping for a, uh, a land use uh, exam at Vermont Law School, and a good friend of ours, uh, a mutual friend, Chris Cullis, stopped in to, to say hello while he was on the East Coast. And uh, as I, I was I was explaining to him in just like this uh, like mad fit of rage prior to an exam about how uh, you know we needed to do more about this subject. He's like, oh, you know, like, you know who's interested in this? Kel Rossiter, you should reach out and touch base to it with him. And, uh, and as it turns out, you know, we had, we had shared a lot of this similar ideas about uh, involving folks who are in the outdoors in this conversation more directly. Um, and, and so it kind of took off from there. And my work uh, currently as a graduate student uh, doesn't directly focus on climate change, but in fact, it seems as though climate change uh, is pervades kind of every subject that I've studied, whether that's uh, water law or land use law or forestry or, uh, you know, it's just like, it's kind of, it shows up in each of, in every one of our classes and all of our research. Um, so it begins up to, and, and similarly, while I was working as an outdoor instructor, uh, I wondered why, you know, some of the professional agencies that um, that hire and, and educate guides, uh, why uh, there, there wasn't more, um, I don't know, like, I guess information available out there to, to start speaking to guides about this. And that's kind of like where uh, Kel and I started to speak more directly about how we can be involved and address this gap, right? Cool. Yeah, and just to set the tone too, don't be afraid of venturing into the political territory like with uh i think kel you probably get this a lot you know when we're working and guiding we we try to kind of stay away from some of those issues but i think you know it needs to be talked about to some extent this could be a good forum for it so uh Mm. i'm I'm not afraid to to get in there if you want to Um, yeah well I, i mean certainly that's one of the challenges we've already considered in in uh moving our various sorts of plans forward including the idea of guides as as uh, field educators and uh there definitely is that challenge of uh trying to productively interact with client climbers but at the same time uh both trying to not not intrude upon the the experience that's in front of people but also realizing that at some point in time being straight up uh tips are an important part of the the guide wage and if you are, uh, if you address things too directly with people that aren't necessarily interested in learning as a part of the climbing process, that is a that's a threat to that wage. Certainly, and so along those lines, what what do you see as just some things that we can do while we're working? Um, I guess let me back that up. I, so my understanding of this whole project is kind of multi-pronged and there's sort of this element of one as guides are like our livelihood and safety is tied into the, the health and the state of glaciers in some of the terrain that we work. Right. Um, yeah. But I, I would also add that glaciers are, are really a bellwether for a larger problem that, uh, that it really affects, you know, all of, 
not only the winter outdoor industry, but also, you know, just all of guiding the guiding industry in general. Yeah, for sure. And so do you see this as something that is going more generally after just awareness and trying to do our part and sort of deal with and mitigate climate change overall? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel as though there are definitely things that, uh, that make the news uh, more often in terms of climate change and, and, uh, and, and certainly in the, in the bigger picture are much more compelling, uh, things like hurricanes or, or wildfires. And, uh, and then there's the things that aren't necessarily in the news so much, uh, things thinking about, well, hey, if there's crop failure here or crop failure there, what does that do to our, our food stream? Um, but some of those things aren't necessarily as sort of exciting, if you will, or compelling to the, the public mindset as thinking about uh, something like climbing and, and the, uh, the, the thrill and enrichment that offers. And so the idea being that uh, sort of as, uh, as Taylor was suggesting, that uh, glaciers are a bellwether for larger climate change and glaciers are a place where a lot of the public interest lies, um, it, uh, it positions us in a, a good way to be spokespeople and advocates for climate change uh, in the mountains, but ultimately beyond the mountains. Uh, we all know where the, the glaciers go. They go down to the valleys and they create agriculture and they ultimately feed the world. So in, in, uh, in many ways, uh, glaciers are, yeah, are sort of the start of where climate change will go. Yeah. And when we, when we made the, uh, the Facebook group, uh, I guess it was back in January of, or was it this past summer? It's a while ago now. Uh, we started to, I mean, quite a few people joined on fairly quickly, um, just who are, you know, outdoor instructors or full-time guides that were interested in sharing in this conversation about climate change. Um, and we started to see more and more reports, not only from the United States, but from Europe and South America about just, you know, you know permafrost melting or roots starting to, to become more and more dangerous in terms of approaches. And we started to wonder, like, you know, how, how can climate change really seriously impact the future of the guiding industry? And, and how can we provide a platform to engage these guides who are like re realistically highly vulnerable from future effects of climate change uh, and, and what sorts of outcomes can we have. And now, uh, in terms of brainstorming from there, we figure that uh, there's an opportunity for guides uh, to, to not only uh, educate one another about these sorts of impacts and, and start to prepare and uh, either adapt or start like find ways to be resilient to change, uh, but also to engage the, potentially their clients and like as Kel was saying like you know there there are challenges there um, but we were hoping as a group to start to to think about how we can navigate those challenges and for instance that might look like uh, instead of saying here's what we have to lose uh, which can you know cause really conflicting conversations uh, instead we can start with here's what we have now and here's how it's changed and and let's talk about the types of factors that potentially are behind that so we see opportunities to engage 
a wider audience uh, from people who directly interact with these outdoor environments that are being affected by climate change. Um, so, and that's kind of like at the heart of the Skies for Glaciers movement. And we think that uh, as an organization, there's an opportunity to, to band together as a, a large group of outdoor you know, professionals and potentially have a, a really larger impact uh, that goes you know, potentially to a policy level down the road. It's always been my personal opinion, uh, you know, I started climbing in college and that was after a very long hockey career. And uh, I would say that my connection to the outdoors became so much stronger uh, after, you know, following that. I always skied in the Northeast in Vermont and we always tracked, you know, when it started to rain and when it started to snow and just that how intimate that relationship became after I became more of an outdoors person. It just, you know, you track these cycles and you become <coughs> intimately aware. Ask any skier like what the, the snowpack's doing, you know, and they can tell you, oh, it's random this year. It's weird this year. It's like it's deeper than ever. Uh, these are the types of people that have this really strong relationship to the outdoors um, and guides more than ever. Like they see these things firsthand uh, and, and they just have a, a very interesting point of view and, and are positioned in a way that uh, they can have a really powerful impact in this conversation. Yeah. And so in terms of the, you know, I like that you guys are calling it sort of a, a movement um, in terms of what G4G is and as an organization or as an entity, where do you guys see it going and where is it now? I mean, is it still pretty much just the, the two of you sort of brainstorming this and trying to put together, I mean, we've got the manifesto um, and sort of outlining the, the vision for the movement, but in terms of the form that it's going to take, what's the vision there? And, you know, are you trying to actively yeah. recruit almost like a membership of of mountain professionals who are out there to come in and sort of join and then just advocate for the stuff? Or do you guys see this going someplace where you're actually like putting out resources and tools that that people can use, whether they're, they're guides or rescuers or whatever, just anyone who's working out in the outdoors every day and having that contact with um, with a wider group of people um you know because i think the, the Kel, as you touched on the the difficulty in communicating some of the stuff because of the political issues and uh the the willingness for some people to to be open in these conversations is it's tricky ground right so i think there's some room for some sort of yeah. tool or resources or like education on like how to communicate this stuff um but yeah, what's what's the vision for what this will look like in the long run? Yeah, well, I can uh, jump in there and then uh, Taylor can definitely flesh it out. And so um, in terms of in terms of uh, I guess I'll start with the sort of the general picture and then get to the more specific as time goes along. Uh, but looking toward what Guides for Glaciers can do or well, where Guides for Glaciers is currently is pretty much a, uh, a social media movement, let's say, in terms of, and that's that's a big word, I, I realize. Uh, I mean, we're a Facebook page and we have an Instagram account. <laughs> um, but 
But in any, in any case, that's where a lot of uh, change happens these days. And uh, recently I was reviewing the AMGA State of the Guiding Industry survey, and they were talking about the some of the statistics around guides and their impact in the uh, outdoor recreation economy and uh, contact with clients. And uh, so I can trot out a few of those statistics, uh, one of them being as far as uh, money spent, the average American spends uh, about 4500 on recreation annually. So uh, it's projected to be about $5.8 billion by 2018. And um, so in the whole scheme of things, I'll be the first to say that's small, small pennies when you look at the ravages of hurricanes and wildfires. But it is to say out, outdoor recreation is a force. And uh, related to that, I think it's interesting that um, uh, when you're looking at the outdoor recreation jobs and economic impact statement that is uh, done by the government every year, uh, or I'm sorry, maybe not every year, but uh, every few years. In any case, uh, when the next one comes out, that it will include mountaineering as a line item in the economics of the gross domestic product, which I, I think is uh, is great to see, and I'll be interested to see those numbers. But um, beyond the, the financial numbers, because again, that's uh, much smaller than so many other industries, I think it, it has to do with the, the social media uh, outreach and the day-to-day face-to-face, which is really key, face-to-face uh, contact we have with clients. Um, if you look at the state of the guiding industry survey, uh, there's about uh, 2.7 clients per guided session and 100 per year. And so that's about 700,000 client contacts. And so um, I feel as though uh, that that is, is really a, a point of, of, uh, of key, key contact. Um, if you extrapolate from that, uh, that's as the survey says, not me, um, that's more Facebook fans than Patagonia, Gore-Tex, Black Diamond combined. And I feel uh, as though that puts us in a, a place where we can really uh, construct some positive change. I've been talking uh, for probably way too long at this point, so I'll hand it over to Taylor, but then we can move on to more specifically what it is we're actually doing. But a summary of that all being that uh, using guides as a, a positive uh, point for uh, for connecting with clients and larger society toward uh, climate change policy and, and progress. Yeah, and I think uh, I think the economics are important. I mean, um, looking looking. So there, if if to whoever is listening out there, uh, try and find it. There's a paper that uh, NRDC published in cooperation with Protect Our Winners a few years back um, that was done by this woman named uh, Elizabeth Burkhart uh, from um, uh, uh, from University of New Hampshire, and she, uh, what she did was she looked at the the economic impact of the winter tourism industry, uh, just trying to figure out you know, certain things like the average difference in skier visits on low snowfall years against like higher snowfall years, and 
and how many jobs were created uh, from the winter tourism industry. I mean, those those types of, of numbers are, are really strong, you know, playing chips for us to to as a as a group of outdoor professionals to use when lobbying for for, for certain things that protect the security uh, of our of our profession, you know, well into the future. So I think that um, I would encourage you know guys who are interested in this to seek out types those types of, of works and and as we develop our uh, our website and as we develop our platform more and more of these things will be aggregated in a singular site for folks to to visit and really uh, educate themselves on um, that these are the types of tools that we can use in conversations when we're talking about climate uh, to really really make our our point and our argument well well heard um, and in terms of things that we're doing right now I, I think that that that's kind of what we're doing. We're, we're rallying our community around this this concept. So it's a really a, a privilege to to be on here and, and speaking with you about about this idea, and and also uh, we're, you know we're trying to 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 collect folks uh, that have these types of stories. Um, oftentimes I get caught up talking about these the facts of climate change. You know, like yes, like you know the, the climate is warming, and we were uh, you know. I think last year was the, the warmest year on record. There's more wildfires than ever. The, you know, drought is is you know greater than ever. The Sierra snowpack's taken a real hit. You know, we're above two, you know, up to two degrees centigrade warmer than we ever have been before. And you know, oftentimes when I share these types of facts, um, and what I've seen in my classes is, is you know, it's a hard it's a hard argument to sell. But you know, when Kitty Calhoun sits down and starts to speak about uh, you know climbs that she's done and the unlikeliness of those being repeated because of severe you know, changes in, in weather or climate, uh, like those are the types of stories that we as individuals need to share. Um, so right now we are trying to, to collect those stories, uh, spread awareness of this, this campaign. Uh, and then from there, we're hoping to start to develop, um, I'll have you maybe speak directly to that, uh, start to develop um, this, you know, a, a type of uh, a curriculum that could be used to share with guides um, that can educate them on climate change and educate uh, them on potentially how to to uh, to speak to their clients about these types of issues. I don't know. Would you like to speak about that? Yeah, I can definitely jump in on that. Uh, let me pause for a second, Eddie, and uh, see if there's anything in particular you want to jump in on as far as uh, the points uh, Taylor and I were just talking about, and then we can move towards uh, more specifics on uh, places to go after this. Yeah, no, the one thing that comes to mind for me and just kind of looking at the, if you know, for, for people who are out there in, especially in the winter environments, dealing with snow and glaciers, right, and dealing with it operationally day to day, like we know we're seeing changes in these patterns like things are weird you know the old rules of thumb are not applying as well as they used to but you know the the most common argument i guess or, or sort of counter argument that that i hear and it seems to be pretty prevalent out there from the the wider public is they'll be like well you you're they get hung up on like the warming term and then they're like, well, look at the winter, the snowfall last year in the Pacific Northwest. Like, it was huge. Like, clearly, it's not warming. It's and to them, that 
kind of refutes the whole climate change argument. So just, you know, I'd be interested to hear from yeah. each of you sort of what your approach to that one is. Cause I personally don't have enough background and experience to explain that well enough to someone. So I don't know if you guys have some insight there. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I think that is a great point because in any time you look at an array of statistics, there's always going to be anomalies and, uh, and definitely I think that's one of the powers of something like guides for glaciers is that whole idea of crowdsourcing. And I guess crowdsourcing is a double-edged sword. On the one hand, you'll always find uh, snowpacks that are radically out of, um, you know, beyond the ordinary. And then you'll find uh, much more in this case that are less than the ordinary. And so uh, I think that I think that on the one hand, uh, the, the crowdsourcing angle is, is powerful, but it certainly isn't without its perils. And so in, in this case, I guess uh, what what uh, Guides for Glaciers can offer is we've got a lot of boots on the ground, so to speak, as far as people that are, are in a variety of places, people that are not only in those places, but many of those people that have been in those places for years and have seen the change. Uh, a great uh, resource to check out would be uh, Aaron Smart's uh, Mammut blog as far as the climate change impacts she's seen in the French Alps. And it's not even just Aaron that's seen it. You can go to the Mer de Glace and look at the plaques on the literally bolted to the, the slab walls of rock where the glacier has receded and see year by year. Like I started going uh, to the Alps in about the 2000s and now there's, there are plaques that can track the recession of the glacier at that point, so uh, boots on the ground in the Alps uh, for myself in uh, on Rainier. Uh, I know that each year it gets uh, more and more complex as far as how to uh, to navigate the uh, what what is you know what are referred to as the quote unquote standard routes, but they become uh, more and more unstandard with with each passing year. And so um, I think to to try to wrap it uh, back around to to your inquiry there, I think that uh, that guides can point to the idea that, well, for starters, it's not about uh, uh, climate warming or, or global warming. It's just about climate change. And uh, things are getting more radical. There's there's bigger ups, bigger downs, but uh, none of that is, uh, is healthy for the ecosystems uh, that we're in, whether it be a glacier or a, or a rainforest. And... Um, and so, so that's the, the point we're operating from. Yeah, Taylor, anything to add there on your end? Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, this is this is precisely the issue that we're hoping to 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 help guides speak to is like how do we communicate climate science. And it's a really like hard thing, and it, and it, you know I guess the question that we've kicked around a lot is like is that our place to speak about it? And uh, for me, it's it feels like uh, in places that I rely on uh, professionally and also have a very strong connection to um, that. Yes, yeah, you know that is that is something that I feel 
I need to speak out on. Uh, and I think at the heart of your question, there's there's the concept of the differentiation between these radical trends uh, and like differentiation between years and weather and climate. Um, and that's important to, to, to start with as, as, you know, as people who are engaged in a discussion about climate. Um, and certainly like those, those vary from year to year, weather is, is, can change. You can have really, you know, cold years in the Northeast where we get tons and tons of snow. And then the next year we get like nothing but rain. Um, and that's important to start from that platform. Uh, but then to remind the folks that we're speaking with that, uh, you know, the models have shown that uh, temperature and carbon dioxide are intimately related and that as carbon dioxide increases, we see that there are increases in our temperature. And the models are showing us that over the long period of time, we will see uh, a radical increase with uh, our temperatures under a higher emission scenario or a lower emission scenario, whatever that might be. Uh, we will see these these larger uh, changes and then the impacts that are followed behind that. So uh, I think this is a challenge that we've identified and that we hope to help guide speak to. Um, but we certainly can expect uh, that there are changes to come. I mean, uh, just here in Vermont, there's a researcher named Alan Betts at, uh, at University of Vermont. And he has been forecasting uh, you know, climate change, you know, and its potential impact on the climate here in Vermont for many, many years. And he's got this great uh, picture that is just as simple as can be, and it shows higher and lower emission scenario uh, and what that'll do to the climate here in Vermont over the next century. And you know, we eventually end up with a climate that looks like that of Georgia. So what does that do to the snowfall and the ice that we have here? you know, it might be non-existent. And what does that mean for those folks who rely on that for recreational pursuits or for their professional careers? Well, I think we can all agree that, you know, if the models are correct and, you know, they are really, and I would love to at another point in time speak about how these models work and the types of analyses that go into it and how vegetation analyses work. Um, but I don't think that, I think that's out of our scope right now. But, uh, you know, like these are the types of things that I think will engage guides in in future conversations. Um, so yeah, it is really challenging. I would also like to point people to, uh, there's a website that Yale School, uh, or the Yale down in Connecticut did, uh, it's called the Yale Program on Climate Change Communication. Uh, and in that you can kind of see this delineation uh, between partisanships. And um, it's interesting to see like, you know, the discussion between global warming is happening and global warming uh, is caused by human activities. This is a challenge that I think that we can we can address directly with this organization uh, down the road. So, at this point, I can imagine the the uh, listeners are interested in concrete sort of steps that guides for glaciers might be headed towards, and I'm happy to lead that discussion toward that in a minute. But uh, any thoughts, comments, questions thus far, Eddie? No, this is all great. Um, yeah, I was going to kind of point us towards sort of the, the meat of this is like, what, what can we all do um, for anyone listening or interested in getting more involved or just <clears throat> furthering their education on these topics? Like, 
Yeah. Tell us what we can do to help out. So I'll, I'll dive in with uh, a couple of points at the top of my mind and, and uh, then anything that I'm missing, I'm sure uh, Taylor can, can fill in. But uh, going back to, to the initial idea and then building from that here, the initial idea being the, some of the, the social outreach that the guides can provide. Um, National Geographic in May of uh, 2013 in one of their issues, they said guides are the portals to the outdoor world. And, um, and so it, I think that it's kind of, it's maybe a little bit of hyperbole, but it, it kind of uh, points to the idea that uh, we do introduce a lot of people to the outdoor world and, and uh, what, uh, what the, the natural world involves. And so we can project that by way of the social media platforms that we, we are involved with. And as I had mentioned straight away at the, uh, at the onset of our discussion here, the, just that idea that, um, that guides, if you look at, I, I think it was Gore-Tex, Black Diamond, Patagonia, whatever, um, we have more outreach. If you, if you put together all of our uh, client climbers together, uh, more outreach than than those uh, those all those businesses combined, and if you look at the idea that uh, in total near three quarter of a million client contacts a year, uh, and if you think about uh, in terms of social media impressions, uh, that comes up to somewhere around ninety one million uh, is what's estimated. So I think that uh, straight away the social media outreach is uh, big, but. Uh, that uh, doesn't get us to the point of great. It's it's all great if we all just share ideas about hey, climate change isn't a great thing, and whoa, that's bad. What can we really do? Um, so here are a few at the top of my mind. Uh, for starters, uh, there's a uh, there's a great organization, Kayak Adventures Worldwide, uh, a fellow named Trenton Gold, who runs that, and he started uh, a, a program called. Uh, uh, paddle pick give and uh, the idea behind that is is they guide services straight away uh, as a part of their their um, their onboarding I hate that word but onboarding of uh, new clients they um, they give them the opportunity to put five dollars or what have you toward the uh, the uh, environmental progress uh, uh, MPO of their choice and the idea there being that it empowers them to uh, make some some positive change in the environment, and it helps to educate them about a variety of uh, education, or I'm sorry, environmental organizations that are out there. So I think that that's a, a great thing. I'm going to be uh, doing that on my own website soon, and uh, I want to encourage uh, the guide services I'm involved with uh, to do the same as a way, again, to both uh, educate uh, people who are coming into the guide uh, client world and uh, people uh, to, to help educate them about ways they can they can get involved. Uh, secondly, I think straight away with the guide services themselves, we can ask them on their, uh, on their actual web pages to feature some uh, tabs that offer information about 
the effects of climate change as it pertains to glaciation. Um, the company I work with, RMI, has an awesome uh, website that talks uh, in, in some very, uh, uh, very interesting detail about uh, glaciation as it, as it relates to Rainier, but to uh, introduce the idea of how climate change will uh, affect the future of uh, all of our recreational enjoyments. So working with, um, whether it be some, some, someone like a, a guide company on Rainier or the North Cascades or the Tetons, to work to make that a part of their web platform. Um, additionally, the idea of introducing, of course, everyone is going to be traveling uh, to participate in these recreation experiences on the glacier. And, and uh, of course, uh, air travel is, in the end, uh, much more damaging than any other forms of travel that we could uh, participate in. So uh, trying to make it the standard among guide industries that we offer carbon offsets as an option um, in, in uh, making these uh, recreation choices. Understanding, of course, that there is the charge that carbon offsets are kind of the modern day equivalent of uh, Catholic indulgences back in the day when you could just sort of pay to participate in sin, but uh, making sure that these carbon offsets uh, go to actual productive sources and having people understand that it doesn't uh, liberate you from the uh, the role you're playing in climate change, but it helps at some level to uh, ameliorate it. And um, two more things here, and then I'll shut up. Um, going back to the idea of uh, client education, which can be done via the web, i.e. tabs on, uh, on various guide service websites, and then uh, client education that can be done in the field. And that's going to be a trickier topic, and that's something that uh, certainly Guides for Glaciers we'll need to uh, build some resources so that we can get some uh, good educational input from, from people more knowledgeable in the field about how to effectively engage our clients in the field about climate change. A uh, quick uh, sort of glaciology education with Clients 101 would be Joe Stock, a guide out of Alaska, has an excellent resource. You can find it on the uh, the Facebook uh, Guides for Glaciers uh, group page, and uh, you can also, I think, find it by way of Joe Stock's page. But uh, a great way to uh, look at glaciers and determine their their health um, that provides a, a great uh, sort of entree into discussing the larger role of glacial health and climbing health in general. Uh, so using uh, that approach, but figuring out how to uh, engage with clients in a productive manner and in a manner that uh, isn't um, threatening either to the client, but also, uh, again, going back to the idea of threatening, uh, it isn't threatening uh, directly to the, the guide's income because we do live in a, a tip economy as well. And, um, and then lastly, uh, the idea that uh, for many guide services, they are involved in a concessionaire agreement with various uh, federal agencies with their permit applications. And so making sure that within the permit applications, they have uh, have addressed various steps they are taking towards ameliorating uh, climate change and, uh, and building that into the permit application process, trying to help make uh, that a standard. And then other guide services will endeavor to meet that standard. And, 
as they bid for access to the various uh, lovely uh, community federal lands that we all enjoy. So uh, I think I ticked off five-ish things there, and those are concrete steps we're looking toward. Mm. Eddie. So one thing that the question that comes to my mind, Cal, is with that last point, you know, it seems like the approach that you guys are looking to take is more of, you know, hopefully affecting some change at more of the political or like government level, but by sort of like more in a grassroots way, like if you can encourage the individual concessionaires to sort of set the standard for themselves, like, hey, this is what we're doing and we're proud of this and we're, we want everyone to be doing this, right? Like sort of creating the, the standard via sort of the competition there rather than approaching the, the land management agency and trying to make them require these steps. Is that accurate? Yeah, I... I have never put together a, a large scale sort of uh, permit application, so I, I can't really speak directly to it. But my um, my general Im- impression of the process is that you can build into it various uh, sort of sales points that make your bid more attractive or or, or not uh, to the agencies. And uh, those agencies, by virtue of the, the various uh, kinds of uh, charges that they have in their mission, et cetera, um, will, will respond well to whatever, whatever those uh, environmentally positive steps you're proposing are. And so, uh, and so in 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 sort in building that into your uh, in, into your proposal you can also essentially you're upping the ante for anyone else who is applying for those proposals as well now I, I know Taylor uh, has done a lot more study than I in terms of land management and that sort of thing so probably at this point uh, I will <laughs> try to turn it over to him unless it, it, yeah so I'll turn it over to Taylor yeah. I, well, Eddie, I mean, is is your question in in terms of like to integrate this type of change? Do we do that at uh, at you know at the agency level, or do we do that at the you know the guiding scale level? Like, is is that your question? Like, you know, corporation versus agency? Like, is that the kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, um, I guess what I was kind of leading towards there is as a organization or, or entity, you know, as Guides for Glaciers going to be getting involved with more of the lobbying side and, you know, making, trying to build these connections with the land management agencies and trying to encourage mm-hmm. them to require this? Or is it coming from the other side and sort of encouraging sort of everyone on the ground to to raise the bar ourselves and sort of self not regulate, but sort of self uh, administer these these changes, like at that level. And yeah, I, yeah, I guess I it's it. kind of like I like the the idea of like as as the companies who are applying for these concessions, like if we can encourage them 
to set the bar at a higher level and sort of make that the standard if you're going to come in and apply for one of these concessions, you know, it, it sort of makes it more or less a policy by going in the back door. Yeah, and I think sure. that it seems like that's what you guys are trying to encourage rather than taking more of the direct route and sort of getting involved in the, the political side. Yeah. I mean, we're certainly not uh, trying to create some sort of agency mandate uh, that you must provide, uh, you know, carbon offset uh, to get a, you know, a permit fulfilled to go and guide in one of the national parks. Like, that is not, you know, our mission right now. Our mission right now is rather to, to educate guides on climate science and to involve them in this conversation and provide a platform for their stories uh, to, to speak out on this. Now, we are working towards uh, creating some, some concrete steps uh, for, for types of change. And in terms of, of longer term change, I think that, um, that yeah, I, I, this, is, this is more of a, a self-policing uh, criteria. But that said, um, as more and more of these guiding agencies do this, um, we set a bar that's, that's you know, much different uh, than the others who are perhaps uh, getting ready to do this. You know, we encourage others to, 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 to follow in these steps. Um, and, and, you know, like I think in terms of uh, drawing more attention to our profession as, as outdoor guides, like I think that that's just like that's, that's a great thing for, for us to do as a group. Um, you know, like I, I know that the AMGA uh, standard of, or scope of practice is coming in 2020, uh, and you know there are changes in in the guiding profession in the United States that are that are coming down the road. Uh, you know, this is a potential thing that can be tacked on uh, on the side of that. Um, and in terms of uh, policy and uh, like advocacy level scale, that is something that we are uh, seriously considering being a part of. Now, um, as, uh, as a 501c3, there are certain restrictions that we have on our, you know, our ability to, to advocate for, client, or for, for, uh, for politicians or against them. Uh, but at the same time, I think what's more important, uh, like I was alluding to earlier, is that we, uh, as, as observers, provide our stories to other people uh, and that in, in that way we catalyze change uh, down the road. And what about partnerships? Are you guys looking to partner up with any other organizations? You know, I, th I think you brought up a good point, Taylor, with just, um, you know, the more all of us can increase awareness of the, the guiding industry and the jobs we do and the things that the AMGA are doing, um, you know, I think making really good strides in furthering that public awareness because we do have the ability to act as, as impactful stewards um, for, for the land that we work in. Um, are you guys hoping and looking to partner up, you know, formally or informally with organizations like the AMGA or, you know, other things like Protect Our Winners, other organizations that are already out there? Yeah. I'll, I'll jump in here, Kel. And uh, I mean, speaking for myself, I'll, I'll just say, like, I would love 
to be put out of this, not that this is a job, it's at, at best a little part-time side job sort of thing, but I, I would be, I would love to be uh, put out of a job in this sense. Um, I, I, I think Protect Our Winners seems like it's a, a great program that is, uh, is, is uh, doing a, a lot of things in, in promoting the idea of climate change as it relates to the recreation we all love. I think the AMGA is a is a great a great communicator of many of the things that we are concerned about, and if those organizations would uh, would like to move in and take over this particular aspect of the of the uh, of the communication, and this is me speaking personally, I would be I would love it. Um, but as it stands right now, and and uh, we have made some entrees into to various organizations in in regards to that, and I think a lot of organizations have their plates full uh, with with their own particular steps they have in mind. Um, and so as it stands right now, I think that uh, if if guides want to continue to be effective advocators and communicators of uh, climate change and how it relates to the economic and physical realities they face on a day-to-day level in the mountain environment. Um, Right now, Guides for Glaciers is that avenue. Mm -hmm. And uh, just looking at some numbers or just looking at the Facebook group, there's currently about 230 members. and just looking at, I'm gonna peg you guys down to a number here. I don't want to put too much pressure on you, but if you had to set sort of some goals for the next year for what you'd like to see happen with this project, like what do you what are you striving for? What would you love to see in terms of people signed up um, for this Facebook book group? Because looking at the the manifesto you sent out, Cal, it's like you know one of the things at the bottom you summarize some steps you're looking for people to take is like like the facebook page start sharing content on there you know sharing it like you said i think the the social media aspect is incredibly powerful and uh i think it's a great place to start so what put a number out there what would you like to see a year from now in terms of yeah membership definitely i mean after this podcast we're anticipating about a million new uh (laughs) new uh, Facebook group uh, uh, signups. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I've so, got, uh, I've I mean, got I some... You can guarantee that. <laughs> uh, you know, I've got a couple of sponsors in the works, like Audi is actually interested. And, Audi, uh, good. Um, Visa MasterCard. Yeah, well, actually, now. Citibank yeah. has been contacting me. Good, so, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we can get you yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, well, if they call during this interview, feel free to hang up and we'll, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll pick it up later. Um do you want to start that off, Taylor? Yeah, yeah. I think in terms of, of quantifying the economic impact on guides, uh, I think <clears throat> I think it's a well-known fact that there are a lot of uh, there's a lot of ways to interact as an outdoor instructor uh, for for climbing, skiing, and kayaking, or hunting and fishing. Um, so it, it's challenging to to really nail down a particular group to study. Uh, and to, to speak for. Um, so one that we do have that's readily accessible to us are those that are documented and accredited through the American Mountain Guiding Association. 
Um, and now I, I don't know the number directly off the top of my head, uh, but I do know that the MGA shares those numbers of exactly how many people are accredited as rock guide instructors or ski guide instructors or, you know, the so forth, uh, all the way up to IFMGA. You know, it'd be really interesting to engage uh, those folks uh, in, in this platform uh, to get them on board, uh, to get the, the guiding agencies that exist, whether they be uh, rock and ice or ski instruction. Um, and now we, we do recognize that Protect Our Winners really uh, works directly with a lot of the ski resorts in, in, the, in the country. And, and that's great. I think that that's, um, I think that that's a wonderful place. Uh, and they, they do an amazing job there. So I would say that our focus is directly towards these guides. Um, so we'd hope to, to engage them on this platform. And I think, you know, like, what is there, maybe 2,000 or so uh, accredited guides in the country, and of that, maybe, you know, 136 IFMGA, you probably know better than I do. Uh, so, yeah, we want, we, want those, we want those folks to be involved. And the people who are generally interested as, as uh, recreationists and who enjoy winter, and, uh, like, those are the folks that we want to engage in this conversation. Yeah, I was just trying to find those stats because I was just looking at them, I think, last week in terms of MGA membership. Um, but, and Taylor, you kind of touched on this. One thing I'd like to get some input from you guys on too is just in terms of the audience that I'm trying to build with with this podcast, um, obviously the focus is sort of on, you know, I'd say primarily guides, but what I want this to be is sort of uh, a way to share the knowledge that just any mountain professional might have with a, a wider audience. So I really want this to be something that appeals to um, people who don't necessarily work professionally in the mountains, but do it recreationally. And whether it's their like every weekend out there, weekend warrior style, or you know once or twice a year. Uh, so for that group, you know, people who aren't guides do. Like, is there a way for them to get involved? Like, if we're sharing some of these resources with clients, um, you know, what do we tell people about, you know, it's guides for glaciers, but do we want to be open and welcome yeah. anybody into this, yeah, this movement, yeah. right? I mean, how do we sort of position that? And um, Yeah, precisely. I um, So in, in our communications uh, in a variety of places, I... I believe and I hope, and but I can't directly point out right now. Um, it's the idea that uh, it's it's that um, guides are facilitators for a lot of people to enter into the mountain world and, and enjoy it. But ultimately, it's about all people that enjoy the mountain world and uh, and recreate and get fulfilled within it. And so. So definitely, yeah, the, uh, the, the movement is, is totally welcoming and open to all of that. And, um, and then beyond that is the idea that, uh, of course, all of these things that happen in the mountains ultimately uh, get down to what's going on in the valley and uh, the, the mountain culture and lifestyle that happens all around that. And, uh, you know, if you look at uh, just a few random statistics like looking at Montana uh, and their, their outdoor economy, there's a billion in labor earnings and 42,000 jobs. Or if you look at uh, Mount Rainier specifically, talking about like right around the Mount Rainier community, they're in 
2015, there was about nearly uh, 50 million spent in the, the community in that area and those sorts of things and all of that uh, growing. I think that, um, yeah, uh, bottom line is this is about this is about guides, um, but guides work directly with people who love the mountain environment. So really, in saying guides for glaciers, I think we're uh, implicitly welcoming in um, all of those other people because I, I mean that's the bottom line is that it's like going back to what I was talking about uh, at the start of the show uh, as far as uh, the, the waitress right talking about her e economy and her income and all that well none of that happens unless someone's sitting at the ta table at her diner and so guides nothing happens unless uh, you know unless we have people that we can uh, share the outdoor world with and if those glaciers are receding and those mountains are becoming either impossible to climb or dangerous to climb or much less appealing to climb, then uh, we don't have a job and those d people uh, don't have a, a fulfilling experience in their lives. Cool. Yeah, that's a great insight there. Um, mm. So just a couple things that came to mind just throughout the conversation here that I want to throw out there before we start wrapping up and I'll, I'll let you guys you know throw in any other um, points that, that you have but um, we talked a couple times about just the, sh the numbers of client impacts that and and contacts that that we have amongst the guiding industry and I think one thing we failed to mention is you know comparing just the number of impressions or actual contacts of you know guides versus some of the the you know combined totals of the big outdoor companies out there the difference being that we're actually having that like intense human experience with the clients and how much more impactful that could be um and i don't know if that's something you guys want to touch on as well yeah, I, I I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of uh, all of us spend who knows how many minutes or even hours, right, um, in, in any given week uh, looking over our social media pages and, and that sort of thing. But ultimately, it's the experiences of being there and, and being with people that, that create those images, but more importantly... Uh, create those experiences that stick with us uh, throughout our lives, and so I, I that is I, I, I you know, I, I'm glad you brought it up because I think that's at the core of it. Is sure there's a, you know, there's a, the outreach ang angle and all of this social media, uh, you know, BS that we all engage in every day and and we all talk about and and it's all a part of the business economy. But in the end, it's about people being in a place they they both love and uh, sharing it together and sharing it as a group and uh, and trying to understand what we're doing uh, in that environment and outside of that environment in our daily lives that is going to allow that experience to continue for ourselves and for our children and our grandchildren and uh, and that's ultimately uh, the power that I think that uh, guides as uh, facilitators and and 
educators of, of climate change can deliver. So I, yeah, I think that's the power of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, there's pretty immense level of, of power there that we're, we're sitting on and can tap into. Um, well, I, yeah, I don't have much else. I think first of all, thank you to, to both you guys, Taylor and, and Kel for sitting down. I think yeah. this is uh, a, an incredible project you guys are working on. I'd love to see this really take off and grow and become uh, more of a thing. Um, I, you know, it, in the show notes, I'll definitely share the links. Um, do you guys have a few hashtags that, that uh, you know, you want people to start using in their our own social media posts? But maybe um, just touch on some of that stuff, like some of the mechanics of of what we can be doing if, if people are on board and want to help sort of spread the word about G4G and anything else that either of you guys want to kind of close on, feel free. Stage is yours. Yeah. Uh, in terms of hashtags, uh, you know, you can, you can use uh, G, the number four G or guides, the number four glaciers or hashtag climate ch- uh, climb as in cl- to rock climb climb it change uh, and uh, you can find us on Facebook at guides for glaciers G4G uh, or on Instagram um, you know these are our platforms now you can expect that there will be a, an official website very shortly as we develop that um, you know there's there's a lot ahead of us uh, in, in terms of developing this project and we really welcome any and all support or ideas or considerations, at some point we're going to have to start really bearing down into developing a curriculum that is really useful for guides. Uh, I'd like to put out a request now if there's anyone who's interested in, 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 you know, pursuing that with along with us, you're more than welcome. Uh, You know, it would make a really great PhD project, (laughs) you know, coming up with this. Uh, And I think that, uh, there, there's a lot of opportunity here uh, to create some really strong uh, connections moving forward. So that's that's where we're at now. Please feel free to contact uh, Kel or I. Uh, you can reach us uh, through our website, and, uh, and and there's more to good to come. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that that all of that information is is totally on on track with uh, what we're looking to do. And uh, let's see, either building or extending on that. Uh, yeah, totally. As, as Taylor mentioned, there are so many ways that uh, this, uh, this project could uh, benefit from your involvement. And uh, straight away, as he mentioned, uh, the, the whole idea of developing a curriculum for guides to, to effectively communicate uh, climate change and impacts to clients in a field setting in a non-threatening and productive manner uh, would be huge. I Unfortunately, I uh, wrapped up my doctoral studies 10 years or so ago. Otherwise, that would have been my project, but we could use your help. Uh, we could definitely use uh, some assistance with any web design, digital graphic arts design. Um, those sorts of things are certainly useful, uh, legal, uh, legal assistance. Uh, we've had the uh, the uh, fortune to connect with Nadine Nadal, who's mm-hmm. helped us to establish a uh, 501c3 status here in the state of Vermont. So we're uh, progressing with that. But uh, certainly, um, any other any other uh, sort of challenges or questions we have as we move forward, 
uh, in terms of the legal uh, frameworks, and uh, then uh, ultimately in terms of both the uh, fundraising and the outreach in terms of both to individuals, uh, donors, foundations, and uh, particularly really to uh, guide services. And this is where guides may really come into play is um, I hope uh, you've uh, listened to this, uh, this podcast and have thought of some of the ideas we presented and can uh, try to present those to uh, your guide organizations. These ideas are by no means ours, they're yours. And so please uh, try to uh, make these changes happen in your uh, in your uh, in your realm, uh, you know, ultimately it's like, we've all heard the message about climate change is here. Climate change is bad. All of that. Once you get the message, you can hang up the phone. Uh, now it's a matter of like what you're going to do after you hung up the phone, what kind of actions are you going to take? And I hope that all of us as guides, as climbers and all of that are going to make some, uh, some real, uh, concrete, positive, uh, steps towards uh, addressing the climate change challenges that we all are facing now and into the future. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks, guys. This has uh, been great. And like I said, I'll have a bunch of resources up on the show notes and uh, make sure any listeners know how to get a hold of either of you. And um, yeah, appreciate you guys both taking the time to sit down and uh, hopefully run into you, both of you guys soon. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Eddie. Yeah, hey, likewise. Uh, hope to see you in, in the hills. Yeah, man. All right. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Rhyming is fine, but not nursery rhymes. Mm-hmm. That's why you, you say hip-hop is one big ego trip. Well, yes. All right. Once again, big thanks to Taylor and Kel for hanging out and chatting about Gads for Glaciers. Check the show notes for more resources and links I'll include some things that uh, they both sent me after the interview just with uh, some more education and stats and uh, just kind of where they're getting their data. And obviously, I'll include links to the Guides for Glaciers page so you can stay up to date on that. If you haven't already, join the group on Facebook. That's sort of the main outlet and house for what Guides for Glaciers is right now and We'll see how that shapes up over time. Later. For baby, my lifespan, a triple lift. I make ridiculous hits on this mic stand. Hey, frivolous, don't give them a slight chance to get with this. Cause you'll be privileged to sit with my hype man. I'm winning with adrenaline, goddamn. The infamous hot hand is simmering, his temperature's not playing. They jacking, jilling with lack of feeling. Ha, I lack the filler. So come attack, I kill ya. The silverback gorilla. And do remember the clues I left you to move a step up. The best do with this until they show me who is better. Your truth can never be broadcast. Pause that. There ain't no educated guessing in my forecast. Uh, yeah. Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm lost. Maybe my thoughts so